Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 1, Episode 15, The Enemy Within. The air date for this episode was February 12th, 1986. Uh, Happy birthday, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, This was directed by Cliff Bowl. Um, who has directed a number of amazing episodes thus far. And it was written by David Abramowitz, who had previously written The Prodigal, which was season one, episode nine, I believe. And, um, all right, why don't we get into a brief description of the story for this episode? This episode is about the fact that there's a mole inside the agency and somehow leaking information, causing uh, several other agents to be killed. So Pete and MacGyver have a plan to lure the mole out with the bait of a Russian defector, and so they can figure out who it is. Right. Um, there's a very Manchurian candidate feel to this episode. Oh, definitely. Um, I also uh, think it's worth mentioning that although this doesn't have an opening gambit in the strictest sense, that what happens here in this first act could very easily have been considered an opening gambit. Yeah. I'm it, not sure why they dropped the term from the opening credits. Um, I know that, I mean... They, they were abandoned as a story element largely because of the cost of producing an unrelated story. Yeah. But, adventure. But if like they were like uh, the opening gamut for Deathlock, right. which played into the story. And that seems like it couldn't have been that expensive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was like so much of it was recycled footage. But, um, and, but... And, and honestly, th- this, this story doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the plot other than the introduction of Bannister. Like, this has nothing to do with the defector or the mole. The the information that he's smuggling out doesn't have anything to do with No, we don't even, we don't, we never know what the information even is. Interesting. So yeah, in a way, this is more of an opening gambit than the Deathlock yeah. uh, jet ski coffin intro. <laughs> it never <laughs> so gets old. Great. It no, never gets old. It, it won't. Um, but yeah, so we start off with, uh, I mean, we can kind of dissect this as an opening gambit here. Yeah. Um, MacGyver is... Uh, somewhere in East um, Germany, Eastern Germany, in the woods, um, and he's sort of walking along until he comes up to uh, this this uh, Jaeger character mm-hmm. um, who's holding a big shotgun and has a, a chicken on his belt. Yeah, like he's just been out hunting. <laughs> yeah, he's got a little hound dog with him. Yeah, who and, who actually now that I think about it, when when stuff starts going crazy, I don't know that dog doesn't seem to go anywhere. Like, it, yeah. just, it just disappears. He's probably just chased after the chicken. <laughs> he fights the other dog. Yeah. Getting ahead of ourselves. Um, uh, yeah, the, he meets the German. The German immediately, like, takes aim at him. Yeah, they, they exchange a few threats, and then they move into code word territory. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy says Kareem. Yeah. Which is supposed to be, like, the first half of a, a passphrase that MacGyver finishes with Skyhook. Yeah. And he does a gesture of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's <laughs> Skyhook move. Yeah. And uh, and then it's clear that they're on the same team, and uh, and they sort of have a laugh about how great Kareem is. Mm-hmm. And um, this uh, this actor, um, uh, his name is Adam Greger, and he plays giant um, Eastern Bloc characters mm-hmm. for most of his IMDb page. He's, he's still working currently. He was um, that... Uh, Tom Cruise, uh, Cameron Diaz movie Night and Day. Okay. He played a chef on the train when they're on the um, Orient Orient Express. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, okay. Well, they're they're on a train for a large part of the movie, and he plays a chef on board the train. But um, 
he'll come back in MacGyver um, in season six, episode twelve, the Jericho Games episode, um, and he's going to play a character named Sergey. Hmm. But uh, Jaeger is Jaeger's just how he's identified, right? Uh, which is German for hunter, right? For those of you who know uh, Pacific Rim most recently, yeah. they, they use for. Uh, they they don't really specify a name in in their interaction here. It's yeah. just what he's credited as. Correct. Um, he gives him a shotgun shell, which he says has all the information that he needs. And he lets MacGyver know that they're approximately 12 kilometers from right. the border. He always seems to be just about 12 to 10 kilometers Well, that's from the where you want the trade to happen. I mean, not close enough that people can see you from the border, but close mm-hmm. enough that you can get across it as quickly exactly. as Exactly. Uh, and like all borders, it's, it's clear that there's just no one around you can just cross the border it's really easy to get in and out of germany apparently i mean there there are woods here but they're they're not the dark woods of germany that you know from from yeah feature films this is a very sparsely wooded area Mm -hmm. yet yet not so sparse that a dozen east german officers can't hide among the trees and not just officers jeeps and things (laughs) all pull up simultaneously like oh they didn't hear the dogs or or anything all of a sudden they just appear from around these trees and uh they start they start shouting and they 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 yell macgyver over the radio like they know that he's they know who they know who he is um macgyver starts and answering back in his like broken german yeah uh and he first tries to identify himself as a Soviet officer, but he says something in German which uh, would be a curse word that you couldn't say on television. Oh, but does he, said, he? But he says it in German. Okay. Um, and so I thought that was kind of like a clever get around. I also uh, think it's funny that he says officer mm-hmm. in straight English. Ich bin ein Soviet officer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has a straight American accent. Um, but then he goes into this other bit of broken German which I, I just threw it I just threw it into Google Translate to see what it could say. And it's something along the lines of we have to go back to my house where my friends are with the applesauce or apple juice. It it Google Translate couldn't actually get it. Yeah. Um so, but it sounds like it could be applesauce or apple juice. Um and the Indians at the airfield <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. Um and then he refers to Jaeger and as his this, wife. Yeah, and this is mine and Frau. <laughs> yeah. Und sie ist mein and Frau. And then there's sort of an awkward pause where MacGyver's like, "Is that going to stick? I hope that works." <laughs> and it doesn't. And so he just rips the chicken off of Jaeger's yeah. belt and throws it at the Nazis. The, the, this gl- the the They're the, not Nazis, but Yeah, well, gosh. I mean, those East German uniforms are, are very Gestapo-ish looking yeah. uniforms. But when he says mine and Frau and he looks at at Jaeger and he and Jaeger both share this kind of look. It's very much like the glances and and uh, interactions that MacGyver and, will have and Jack, and Jack Dalton yeah. will have. Yeah. And that's why I was like, oh, this is like almost like a precursor to Jack yeah, Dalton. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he, he's even got Bruce McGill's kind of build and look. Yeah, he does kind of a little bit. Um, I would I would love to see Jaeger come back for more, other than just like yeah. a different character. Yeah, he he seems like he could be he could be a little bit more. I just love MacGyver characters. Like they, they, they do a really good job of making you care about people, even though even the one-off people that aren't even around yeah. for a whole episode. Yeah, and and this guy is shot at and runs away, and we never know what happens to him. Or his dog. Or his dog that vanishes. Hopefully, he's all right. The dog was actually a double agent who led them, right. <laughs> who led them to him. Oh no! I never suspected the dog. 
So MacGyver runs. He throws the, they throw the chicken to try to distract the dogs and run. And uh, as soon as he hits the ro- main road, uh, who should skid up? Yeah. Well, it's, what's crazy is like the he sees the police car and he hi- he tries to hide from it, and the police car slides to a stop and blocks the path of a motorcycle, which causes the motorcycle to crash. Right. Which is your first inkling? Oh, you're this, like, oh, this is someone on his side. Yeah. And the guy says, like, you know, need a lift? And it's his friend Craig Bannister. Of DXS. Mm-hmm, sent in to, to extract him. He seems like he is, um, he works in so, some sort of a supervisor capacity for DXS. He has his own office. Yeah. Which MacGyver doesn't have his own office. I don't know if that's by choice or what. Right, right. But it seems like he's he's higher up in the organization than mm-hmm. MacGyver is. Although he he is at least willing to go out on these missions right. in person. Well, we get we get an impression later on that he might even be second or third in line for the head of the department. Right, because they just they just hired a new director of operations. Mm-hmm. Um, MacGyver doesn't know who it is yet, but Craig does. Yeah, and he thinks that MacGyver will be pleased with right with the choice. We need to be the made. new director. But while they're while they're making their getaway, they they take a couple of uh, shots from a local officer who's got his AK and just starts opening fire at the car. It's a very cool effect. Yeah, the pink paint coming off that car is yeah, just crazy. Like metal like chunks just flying off of the cars mm-hmm. that's getting pelted. It's a really cool effect that I feel like I wish I saw more in movies when cars mm-hmm. are getting shot at. Because it's like, okay, you can just put a bunch of holes in a car and that's neat. But it's more fun to actually see pieces of the car coming off every time it gets shot. It feels more realistic. I don't yeah. know if it is more realistic. Well, so, so often it's just like sparks. Yeah. Just like sparks shooting so off the car. So that they didn't have to damage a car for mm-hmm. their movie. Um, but this thing is getting torn up pretty good in the back. Yeah. Um, it's just a very cool effect. At this point, they're racing downhill to stay ahead of the um, the East German officers. Right. The, they, the NVA. Yeah, they, they've had other Jeeps and other cars ready, and so they're, they've made it to the road now and yeah. are able to give chase. Um, and they get up to about 80 to 86 miles an hour. That's my judgment based on their speedometer reading, 130 between 130 and 140 kilometers, kilometers. per hour um, when their brakes get taken out by one of these shots. A stray bullet cuts the brake fluid line, mm-hmm. and uh, they realize weirdly quickly that the brakes don't work because I feel like if I was getting chased by East German officers, I wouldn't be testing the brakes at all. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it is a make, windy road. It is a little bit windy. I don't think it's windy enough to warrant needing the brakes, but um, I guess that's for them to decide. I think they sh- they maybe could have shown the car almost losing control on some turns to indicate mm-hmm. that it's dangerous that the brakes don't work. Right. Because right now it seems like, oh, thank God the brakes don't work. Because if they had worked and you've been using them this whole time, they would have caught up with us. Yeah. McEver then tells them to pop the hood, and you just see it just get whooshed off. Yeah, because they're going the- 80 miles an hour, so yeah. as soon as that hood just gets a, air- a little lip of air, then it just rips it right off the car. You ever been behind a car when that happens? No, have you? Uh, yes, going up uh, the roads right around here, going up the hill. Um, it didn't fly off the car, but, but I was it just bu- slammed on the windshield. Yeah, I was like, I was right next to this van, and all of a sudden, boing, I just, I could see, just see it happen, and it hits the windshield of the van, and, and luckily they they maintain control of the car. They just stopped. Yeah. But I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that would be pretty terrifying. Yeah. I uh, mean, if if they weren't on the freeway, then they weren't. They wouldn't have been going fast enough to rip mm-hmm. it off the car. But I think if you were going 80, 85 miles an hour, that would come off the car yeah. before you went yeah. back in time. Uh, this is cool to see what would happen if you were going that fast. and just yeah. f- flips right off. Um, MacGyver then is going to climb out onto the hood of the car and try to see if he can 
pump diagnose some... what's going on here. Yeah, he, he, he assumes that the brake fluid is gone, but he says that maybe I can take some of the other fluids, this power steering, yeah. uh, and put it into the brake cylinders. Yeah. Now, it, and, and you can see as soon as he starts unplugging the, the, the power steering, that Bannister is having, like, harder time steering the car, yeah. which which is... Which is imp- why I would have waited until we were across the border, because yeah. I'd rather speed down this hill than be able to successfully brake and then accidentally drive off a cliff, because mm-hmm. I can't steer the car. Yeah. So, they're up on the hood, or MacGyver's up on the hood, and, you know, he, he does check the 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 brake line fluid container. Yeah. It, it's weird, because, like, the... I don't know. I feel like the engine's going to be really, really hot. Like the, 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 like, like if he was spilling fluids all over the place, like you'd, you'd see it cooking off the engine block and everything yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and he's like leaning on it too. Yeah. This is like, Oh man, I don't know where, I wouldn't know where to put my hands where I wouldn't get caught in a belt or something. So yeah, he yanks out the power steering fluid and it's just squirting all over the place. Um, and, uh, he puts it into the brake and tell, and at this point though, they've already plowed through the border patrol. Without have any they, resistance. or they're about to. He, it's before they have brakes. He, they, oh, okay. But before they have brakes, they he, crash through. He reroutes through. the power steering fluid into the brake line fluid. Mm-hmm. Refills that a little bit. Yeah. And then, does he put the power steering line back, or does he just leave it where it is? It's not really clear whether or not he does it. Yeah. He, he definitely pulls it out, and and he overfills the, the brake line thing. Like yeah. he He's just putting it all in there. Um, I think what he has to do initially is... Stop the leak. Stop the leak, right? Because right. they're they're just going to have. Because otherwise, same... no matter what you put in, it's just going to come right back out. Exactly. So he tears off the the tube that's already been half ripped by the bullet. Mm-hmm. He tears it off and then plugs it on something else. Yeah. Uh, so at least to try to like get that line back in operation, then he takes some of the power steering out and fills it up. Right. Uh, at this point, the Germans have stopped pursuing them because they've already crossed the border. And again, and like all border crossings from MacGyver, no one ever stops him. Right. Like they, no one, no one ever calls another additional units or anything like that to, to see. Oh, these people just ran across the border. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they made it across the border, and they get the brakes back, and that's kind of the that's kind of the end of this gambit. Is just they they stop the car, MacGyver gets back in, and they they take off back down the road. Right. And pr- presumably. For safety. And for whatever reason, Craig doesn't explain here why he was sent in to pick up MacGyver. MacGyver doesn't find this out until he gets back to DXS. Yeah, but it was just, he just was sent in by... Because he wasn't supposed to get lifted out of the situation. He was Correct. supposed to find his own way out. Yeah. So this was an unexpected uh, unexpected pleasure, but... It's important because the director sent Craig in mm-hmm. to extract MacGyver because they've lost a number of agents recently. Right. Four of their top agents. Right. So uh, he was worried that... MacGyver might be another target, so better to send in some support, get everyone out of the field until they can figure out what's going on. Yeah. So uh, back in the United States, uh, MacGyver kind of makes like his way back into the DXS, but he stops off at the security desk. Right. Uh, he There's a German-speaking... Uh, Fritz. Yeah, Fritz, the security officer. And he's signing in. They're just having some general, like, how you doing talk, and then MacGyver hands him an envelope. And inside is a letter and some pictures from his family, presumably in Eastern Berlin or Germany. He says yeah, Eastern Berlin. He, yeah, he says East Berlin. And uh, Fritz is just overwhelmed with gratitude. It's a, it's um yeah messages from his sister and and her children and everything mm-hmm. that they're okay and 
things are going all right. See, I thought this was going to be like a setup for something. I, I like. Oh, the the fact that he had family there and that MacGyver was in touch with them. Yeah, or like that 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 there was going to be a situation where Fritz was going to have to do something for him. It's like this is my way of thanking you, MacGyver. Oh, like a like a Godfather type. Well, it just it was such a nice gesture for MacGyver, which of course he's all about nice gestures. Yeah. It just felt it felt strange from a scripted standpoint to insert this scene and then not come back to it. Yeah. Um, well, you don't know. Maybe it comes back in season six somewhere. <laughs> it's Fritz. Like Fritz is a field agent now, and he has a flashback to the time he got a letter from his sister. <laughs> He was he was working for the enemy, but he has a change of heart. Oh wow, yeah, that's the really intense thing. Yeah, he sees the he sees the kindness of MacGyver and has a his heart grew three sizes that day. He's like, oh, thank you so much, MacGyver, and he shakes up in the letter, and a microfilm comes out. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> little does he know, <laughs> my sister, the chief assassin. <laughs> uh, my sister is Murdoch. <laughs> <laughs> Which could be because yeah. Murdoch does often uh, gender bend. Mm-hmm. Uh, back upstairs at in the main floor, I guess I would call it the administrative floor. Uh, MacGyver goes in to check on Bannister and finds him uh, smooching with a lady. Yeah, making out with his lady friend. Uh, and uh, we get the glorious reveal of Ingrid Bannister, played by Lynn Holly Johnson. Yes, uh, who we know from our MacGyver marathon. Uh, who we know from our James Bond marathon, right? As a uh, underage Bond girl, as far as character. Yeah, she's playing a seventeen-year-old uh, ice skater. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, I think, twenty-three or twenty-four at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, she's she's playing a seventeen-year-old, and uh, this was a Roger Moore. Yeah, this yeah, is Roger Moore for your eyes, for your eyes only. only. Um, and she's playing. Uh, BB doll is her character's name, yeah. which is obviously a reference to like baby doll because she's young. Yeah, um, and uh, you know the the villain keeps her around because he wants like this young girl, but she doesn't want to be with him because he's old. And uh, but she tries to seduce James Bond. Yeah, repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first time we've had a Bond girl on MacGyver, mm-hmm. um, but not the last. No, definitely not the last. But uh, this is. As, as far as I can recall, this is the first um, first time a, a Bond girl has appeared on MacGyver. Uh, they have this, like, so Craig Bannister, Ingrid, and MacGyver had, like, this sort of, like, awkward introduction. And Craig says, oh, you're going to have to go see the boss down at the end of the hall. And, uh, you know, kind of just just, to, just for the, the, the casual meet and greet of who's now in charge of the DXS. And uh, there's, like, this really great, like, reveal setup where... You just see inside the office. You can't see who it is, and uh, like the secretary, page, you know, pages in, and he just says, "Send him in." And MacGyver not trying of, to mask his voice at all. Yeah, not not at all trying to mask his voice. Uh, and MacGyver peeks in. And it's like, "Oh, it's Pete." What are the chances? Yeah, probably good. <laughs> so it turns out that Pete has gotten his uh, his second um, promotion in the last three episodes four yeah episodes what are we're, this is 15 he got a promotion in nightmares which was to deputy. 11 so yeah yeah in in five episodes he was promoted to deputy chief and then to um executive director of operations right no, so this pretty case. much takes him i we maybe maybe like out of uh, the field yeah i think that this i mean there'll probably be situations that we'll see later on where he's still in the field and he technically is kind of still in the field in this one yeah but 
he, it's not like he was before where he met MacGyver at the docks and says, which one do you want? Both. Like, or a Deathlock where he's, like, on location. Although we will have um, little adventures from him later on. I know um, in preparation for our interview with Vernon Wells, I had watched The Odd Triple, and he factors into that mm. firsthand. He's not just back at Phoenix Foundation coordinating with them. So, okay. But, I mean, we'll cover that more when yeah, we get yeah. to it. But he, he will participate directly in some future missions. Right, of course. But this is his new like he's he is now like in charge of things. So yeah. he he is he is important. Uh uh and he tries to convince MacGyver to take one last mission where they they have a defector uh who they want to try to lure out this mole. Pete reveals that they've lost four agents and that he sent in Bannister to extract MacGyver just in case but MacGyver doesn't want anything to do with this new plan. He He's tired. He wants to take a break. This will become, like, sort of an M.O. for him. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, he's, he's like, the first, like, five or six episodes, he's eager to, like, get back to work. And But uh, over the course of the series, MacGyver becomes less and less interested in taking on the jobs that Pete has for him. Yeah. He, he, you know, he does work hard. He does. So he does deserve some time off now and then. And he's very, very adamant about it in this one. Like it, this is the first time he tries to con- Pete tries to convince him, and then we have a cut to MacGyver's apartment, which is, I can assume, is like hours later. Right. Like Pete yeah. follows this him home. This argument has been happening the whole way home. Yeah. <laughs> Pete's in his car. It's like, don't you have work to do? Just drive. I got more to say to you. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, MacGyver is. Can moving... you pull over here? I want to get a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Well, MacGyver is moving out of his Venice Beach apartment. Yeah, very sad to see this place go. Um, I guess he had a falling out with Susan. Um, Either that or the people downstairs at uh, Coney Island finally... You, you, we've noticed that since you moved in, MacGyver, the amounts of incidents occurring at this apartment building have tripled. Yeah. We have never been shot at as often <laughs> as when you lived upstairs. Yeah. Um, I wonder if the move was as a result of the production. Maybe, Maybe someone sold the the flat or it's possible yeah yeah i mean this whole this set of rewatching the episodes i don't actually happen to recall where his next home is mm-hmm. so i'm not 100 percent sure um we'll see it uh, i know we see it for sure in phoenix under siege it just seems like it's on a normal street like it's in a, like a condo apartment building on it's a, still upstairs right from like a hardware store or yeah yeah it's still it's still a upper floor it's a it's a different kind it's a larger space right uh, but yeah, it's not, it's not anywhere specific. I don't think like, yeah. like it's not, it's not as recognizable as Venice beach, but it doesn't even look that different on, on the interior side right? from this place. Um, if it's the one I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. which I, I, I think it has to be because it's the last LA apartment before he moves on yeah. to the houseboat. And then the houseboat's totally recognizable. Yeah. Uh, so Pete follows Mac back to his apartment where he's moving out and packing up all those boxes. They're still arguing, that MacGyver doesn't want to do it. He wants to take a break. He's he's moving. Um, yeah, MacGyver is so reticent to um, take this mission that he's even, like, brandishing a, his fencing sword <laughs> and, like, starts, like, pretending to pick a sword fight with Pete and sticks him in the chest a couple times yeah. with it. I mean, it's got the little... The, thing at the top, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's safe to poke people with. But he, like, repeatedly pokes him and explains, no, I'm on vacation, you don't understand. And... Uh, and Pete's like, you're not even going to take a vacation. You're just going to sit around here and work, like, getting all your stuff packed up to move to some, like, junk heap somewhere. 
and like makes fun of his new apartment already mm-hmm. before he's even moved into it. Like apparently they're they are such close friends that Pete has already been to the place that MacGyver is considering moving into. Yeah, they've probably looked at it together. Yeah. Um and uh and then as he's making fun of the place, MacGyver pops up from behind a pile of boxes with this giant plastic spider toy. And he's like, now that's not fair, or something like he that. He says, you have no taste, as he, sh- yeah. he shakes as the spider out. he's shaking a plastic spider at, at Pete. It's just a really funny moment. It comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. <laughs> that this spider is suddenly here. Uh, that's when we, get, we have uh, the entrance of our Russian defector. Her character is Victoria Tamanova, which is very similar to... Her actual name of Victoria Fyodorova. Fyodorova. But it's funny because, and I'm pretty sure it is pronounced Tomanova, but I think Pete says Tomanova or something like that. Oh, yeah. It, it, he puts like the accent on the second syllable, which is a very American thing. Yeah, it's yeah, obviously, you know, we, we, we English Americanize names all too often. Yeah. I don't think we do it at it. Obviously, I don't think he was doing it to be. I think he was doing it because he's a racist. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm pitching Pete as a racist here. Um, he doesn't like Tomanova. those dirty Russian, especially defectors. You can't trust them. Yeah. They defect once, they defect again. What I like to do to test people's allegiance to our nation is just pronounce their name wrong every once in a while just until they snap. <laughs> but even then, even with this this woman now who's like, now who this woman's going to be put in harm's way, right. that's the plan, is she's going to go out in the open. She she's, says she's supposed not. to be bait for this. Mm-hmm this trap macgyver still won't do it yeah and uh and i think he it's kind of like the situation where you know when a guy proposes to a woman in public and she'll turn them down just like out of spite because it's like you shouldn't have proposed to me in front of all of these people Mm -hmm. i feel like that's kind of what happening here when macgyver is just saying to pete like i'm not going to put her in harm's way i'm not and he's like angry that pete even brought her to the apartment Mm -hmm. and and he's like i don't i don't care i'll talk about this right in front of her (laughs) And, uh, the answer but, is no. And and she is becoming less and less interested in having MacGyver as her protector because right. she can tell that he's not cooperating with this whole negotiation. Yeah. She she even digs him in, digs in that she says John Wayne would not have been afraid. Yeah, she's like, trying to call him a chicken. Yeah, it's like, oh, God, John Wayne? Come on. <laughs> uh, the one thing that Pete is able to convince MacGyver of is to make an appearance at the reception which, for all we know, that was his plan in the, from yeah, the first place. It kind like, of you're is. You're still having to protect this woman at a public event. That's really all we were asking you to do before. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe not to the level, but this is the plan, is to yeah. put her out in this place, and he wants MacGyver there. I think he intentionally asked for way more than he was going to get so that he could scale it down to what he oh. actually wanted. See, Pete knows how to work MacGyver. This is why he's the director of operations. That's right. <laughs> That's how you get that promotion. That kind of... Uh, thinking ahead mm-hmm. uh, the party is this kind of weird it's like it's a, a formal s- affair but it's there's it's like a science symposium yeah, it looks like a science fair they call it the the international peace through science symposium mm-hmm. and to hammer down that it's international there are people in all sorts of like foreign garb but like yeah they're, they're dressed up like like they're literally at a united nations picnic exactly like you have, you have like uh people who appear to be like from like india with like long kind of gowns right and And there's like uh, a a japanese woman wearing almost a full like geisha costume yeah um and then you have like like african ambassadors coming Mm -hmm. through and and things like that yeah so it's 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 very strange it's a very strange blending obviously like the whole thing is like science is supposed to transcend right borders and in politics 
and even faiths because apparently they've hired a yeah a reverend to make a speech at this mm-hmm. science symposium because science wouldn't exist right um and on the eighth day god made science just just <laughs> on the eighth day <laughs> he woke up he made some science and he went back to sleep yeah people we'll just call this day <laughs> what was it the 13th month in the simpsons march <laughs> i don't remember that so macgyver is forced to wear a tux which everyone makes fun of him for yeah he doesn't he doesn't do the tuxes very often he did one in the heist yeah it's like he didn't seem to be bothered by yeah, that he didn't put up too much of a fight then but mm-hmm. apparently um it, the the experience soured him to tuxes and uh so he he, he kind of wanders in on his own and where he's greeted by a robot yeah <laughs> um that he affectionately nicknames robert good evening good evening robert be right with you right he he's not so clever with his robot name yeah he he couldn't uh he couldn't come up with something smarter than robert because he just used roberta like last week Mm -hmm. to refer to a robot that he built himself roberta i I assume that he was toying with robert for roberta roberta yeah he threw it away because he was like no, Roberta's like one step funnier. And then when he saw another robot, he was like, what is another robot name that I didn't already use? And, it, you know, he didn't go for the obvious one, Robutler. He's serving drinks. I don't know. I, casually think, that's, I think that's terrible. <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> um, it, it's it's like, wow, what year did Short Circuit come out? 84? Um, that seems early. Yeah, maybe it was like, because it seems like a very Short Circuit moment. Like they're at a, par- a reception party and for science, and there's like a robot walking around serving drinks. It's Jabba's palace, or yeah, yeah. Um, and as we've learned um, from previous experiences, MacGyver traditionally does not drink, but uh, but here he he even like tries to get the robotler's attention, um, and it says <laughs> <laughs> it even says like I uh, I'll be right with you. I'm I'm already on my way to someone else right now, but I'll be right there. Like it's a very well programmed. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though his, his his face is just this blaring white screen. Yeah, and uh, but then he comes back around with with um, a bunch of uh, champagne glasses, and MacGyver takes one and starts complimenting it like mm-hmm. just random phrases that he can think of that apply to alcohol. Yeah, it's like it's got good legs, nice bouquet, goes a nice fish, goes with a nice fish. <laughs> As as uh, Robotler's leaving, because <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying it, because um, Robotler doesn't care what MacGyver thinks of the drink. Yeah. Um, and then MacGyver just hands it to a, a human butler. I don't know what you would call them. Human <laughs> <He> butler. <laughs> no, no, don't don't try and mix this up. Yeah, it's like why do you have robot butlers and human butlers? Yeah, well, that's uh, enough of the portmanteaus for today. <laughs> But yeah, so he immediately hands off the drink that he was like a little bit upset about having yeah. to wait for. Yeah, it and it's just like. going to get dumped. What a waste. He's wasting champagne. Maybe that's just part of his thing is that he hates alcohol so much that he doesn't even want other people to drink it. Yeah. Now, at this point, MacGyver's kind of made his rounds. He sees, he's seeing Bannister and went to go talk to a couple other guys. Who make and, fun of him for being in the tux. Yeah, so it's like, okay, the joke the joke was funny once. Yeah. Um. Then at this point, Pete enters with Rue McClanahan. (laughs) (laughs) She Uh, is wearing silk pajamas and a giant butterfly brooch. And she's the spitting image of a golden girl. Despite being a a grand total of four years older than Richard Dean Anderson. Right, yeah. They make her look so much older. I think it's a combination of 
um, Russian features and a makeup job that was clearly intended to make her look like a more mature woman mm-hmm. than she was. Because she's not that old here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, she comes in and uh, Pete just starts kind of like, the whole point of this is to parade her. Because if anyone's going to try to kill her, they're probably going to do it here. Right. I guess. Because, like, you know, this is out in the open. There's a lot of people. Crowded function. So they, they just start walking around and looking at the exhibits. Um, one of the things that they feature, because it will play up later, is the sonic the sonic beam, which right. they use to clean coins and uh, jewels. Yeah, he, he, the, the first two uses that he mentions are that it's it's used to clean like gemstones and and coins Mm -hmm. and then she says oh does everything in america have to do with money which she this is a legitimate case because the only two examples that he's provided are that you use it to clean gems and coins like did someone really a scientist complained that his gems and coins weren't clean enough and so he developed this for that i can't clean them enough with this polish (laughs) yeah and then so she's she's sort of making this criticism of american like materialism Mm -hmm. because she comes from a land where everybody has the exact same amount of money yeah um and uh he he tries to defend us by saying oh well it's also used in mining you know, it, it's safer for the people digging underground. And it's yeah. like, oh, what are, what are they digging for you? Uh, valuable resources <laughs> that you can convert into money? Like, yeah. It, it doesn't help his case. Yeah. It, that it's he's like saying... they're, either, they're either digging for coal or for other gems and yeah. things to be pressed into coins. They're actually mining four coins. Right. Because this beam destroys everything except coins. <laughs> uh, it just cuts, like, magically cuts coin-shaped yeah, like just just rocks. The, just point at a mountain coin spell like a slot <laughs> machine. Uh, so Victoria, while walking around, identifies uh, a Russian assassin, right? Who who's just happens to be at the party, and they don't do anything about it, which is really concerning to me. Like, there's a known Russian assassin, and you don't immediately like question why he's here, right? Because um, she identifies him as Lem. Yeah, Anton Lem, who's an assassin, and. And he worked with the GRU, mm-hmm. which um, uh, translated into English is an acronym for the Main Intelligence Directorate of Russia. But GRU, I, I'm pretty sure this is where they came up with the name Gru for the Despicable Me lead. Okay. Because he speaks with a Russian accent. Right, right. And he's like, sort of like evil. So mm-hmm. I feel like it was it was a direct reference to this, this oh, particular organization. That's a good call. And it, But she doesn't seem, she doesn't seem worried because... She says that he doesn't recognize her because she's she was like a clerk. She never she just saw these people by pictures. Right. Um, which later on she says like her head is like a rock, like she can't remember anything. She does a lot of good job remembering things. Yeah. Um, I I feel like the reason she says that later is because she may have been hypnotized into forgetting ooh. what she knew about this thing. Oh geez, I never thought of that. Yeah. Well, so. cause, because MacGyver screwed up his crazy, stupid hypnoti- hypnotizing machine. Yeah. Um, it's actually distracting her more from remembering. Right, exactly. Um, uh, at this point, a reverend, Reverend Mather, is going up to the podium to make a speech about how science, science brings everyone together. But he also like is trying to like drive it to faith, and he starts making these really awkward things about man is, is the, the animal, that, animal that dreams, dreams. it it's a very awkward speech but at this point lem is like triggering some kind of device some kind of sonic device that's making mather 
uh, stammer and sweat and. And for the record, I've I have definitely seen my dog dreaming before. Yeah. I think, it, but he means dreaming in a in a more general sense yeah. of like reaching for reaching for progress. Goals. Um, but I, I feel like I've seen my dog do that too, though. <laughs> like, like she dreaming she... of progress. <laughs> So Mather now, Reverend Mather is clearly under the influence of some kind of, we don't know if it's like a hypno beam or what at this point, but he right he just happens to have in his podium a gun ready to go, right? Um, and he pulls it out and just starts opening fire at the crowd. It's not, they say that he was shooting at Victoria, but he just doesn't seem to be shooting at anything really. I mean, the shots as we're seeing them, we only see one actually bounce off of anything, and it's closer to the sonic beam than it is right. to any one like in particular um so while mather is opening fire macgyver does this great thing where he takes the sonic drill and turns it up and just starts sweeping yeah, it, across, swings it the across the room to point it at the guy yeah but like as he's sweeping around like glass cups and vases of vases are just yeah it probably like, would have been safer to point it at the guy first and then turn it up yeah uh, and like just I, I just feel like if someone had like a glass eye or oh my God. or like a filling or something that it would just <laughs> a glass <laughs> filling that's really their fault. <laughs> well, we we have this uh, high impact metal that'll be good. No, 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 no. Glass. Do you have anything that's glass? I just want melted sand in my mouth. Um, when he sweeps the beam around to Reverend Mather, it's really intense though, because like Mather's wearing these glasses and it just explodes the glasses. And it's thick glasses too. Yeah, like he should have been bleeding from his eyeballs. Yeah. Because oh god, I don't even want to think about that. Uh. And when they, you know, so they rush him on the stage while he's distracted, and everyone's clearing out except Lem, who's still just standing there like nothing happened. He's clearly and nobody suspects him, even though he's been outed as a GRU. Yeah, agent. like oh my gosh, suspect number one. Why is he here? Who is he with? Why is no one following him or tracking? Somebody his should have jumped on him the second a gun was fired. Exactly. Like this, this cannot be allowed to happen. Diplomatic immunity does not apply. Yeah, Ideal. what was the point of having bait if you're not even going to arrest anyone when things start going crazy? Yeah. Um, MacGyver tries to... Mather is still, like, delirious and confused from his hypnosis. And MacGyver's trying to coax him through who the motions. Like, like who, right. who told you? He's kind of coming get to moments of clarity. And that's when Lem switches the beam from blue to red. Red is obviously the kill... Yeah, he has like a little handheld remote that he can control mm -hmm. something with. Yeah, it's a sonic screwdriver for Doctor Who references. Yeah. Uh, and uh, instantly, like, Mather starts like struggling and gripping his chest, and MacGyver, yeah. he's having a heart attack, but they can't they can't resuscitate him. He he dies on the floor. And the the next scene is them performing an autopsy right away. Um and we get we get this really great moment for me because I really like the actor who's playing the pathologist, right? Uh, uh, Arthur Mallet, yeah, who's a voice actor, older actor. He's in a lot of stuff. Um, My mind always goes right to Toodles from from Hook. From Hook. Um, I I like I actually go to another Robin Williams movie uh, where he plays Owen in uh, Toys. Who's, oh, okay. Who's the second in charge of the comf the toy company? Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of weird that another robin williams pairing that's funny uh 
that can't be an accident. Yeah, that, <laughs> I'm that, sure Robin uh, has brought people along with him mm-hmm. from project to project, so that's probably another instance of that. Uh, but you know, you mentioned that he was the voice of Mister Ages in Secret of Nim. Right. He he's a very prominent actor, and it was it was very cool to see him like in this role and uh, and he's playing such a weird pathologist like it he's a really interesting character i feel like i haven't seen a tv show yet that didn't have the pathologist eating in the morgue egg roll what's yeah like that's almost like a staple of that of that profession at this yeah. point on tv is that you always have to make the person super quirky and mm-hmm. abnormally comfortable around dead bodies yeah like fletch <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Have you ever seen a spleen that big? No, not uh, not since lunch. <laughs> you never get used to the smell, do you? It's like, uh, and uh, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. <laughs> um, but, you know, this pathologist, also MacGyver calls him Ed. They clearly have a, re- a working relationship where MacGyver has brought in bodies before yeah. for examination. And uh, and their their friendship also goes back far enough that MacGyver apparently fixed his sound system at some point, mm-hmm. and that warned him allowed to take valuable criminal evidence yeah. out of the. I'll off. give you part of this guy's uh, arteries if uh, if you fix my stereo. <laughs> Seems like a crappy deal for MacGyver, but yeah. Uh, but they find something in his art in his arteries near his heart. And so MacGyver takes a sample of it to head back to his apartment to do his own analysis, not trusting, I guess, Ed, his longtime friend, yeah. to to do the analysis. Uh, while at his apartment, Victoria pays him a visit, even though she's still now very much a target. Yeah, um, it's she, odd because she's here to apologize for, I guess, for calling him a coward, maybe mm-hmm. earlier. Um, when it's pretty clear now that what she was signing up for was more dangerous than she realized. Yeah. But it just seems weird that she would come to him at all mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, she should – like, I think she mentions even that, that MacGyver says, shouldn't she be at a safe house? And she says, before I go, I told him to drive me here Yeah. Uh, or otherwise I, w- I would forget certain things. So presumably there's an agent outside just mm-hmm. eating some ice cream, hanging out for her, waiting for her to come back down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's when he runs through the – he kind of reveals to her what he thinks happened. MacGyver uh, says that like, apparently he did get some kind of analysis back because they said that they found a dipic acid in the reverend's blood. Right. Which, when you apply a certain level of magnetic field, it turns the dipic acid into nylon. Right. Uh, which is a real thing, apparently. And I think they're actually doing it in the episode. Yeah. When, when we see the, the... The little experiment? Yeah. Is uh, that, does that come back in a title sequence? It looks like something that would be in one of the title sequences. Oh, I don't remember. Maybe not. Uh, the title sequences changed, so it's like oh, they, they, yeah. they they take stuff and add it in. It's always. But, so now they're convinced that that Mather was it was not a heart attack. It wasn't a convenient heart attack that he was murdered. It bothers me that MacGyver's the only one who thought that. Um, and in in the immediate aftermath of uh, that murder and his conversation with the pathologist um, as they're leaving the hospital. MacGyver says he hates coincidences, and then mm-hmm. Craig says, what coincidence? And it's like, yeah. you really don't know what coincidence he's talking about? A guy opens fire on a crowd and then dies of a heart attack two seconds later? While, while there's an assassin in the room? Yeah. Uh, Clutching a remote control that's brightly lit? Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- th- there's a lot of coincidences here. Yeah. And after this little experiment... Um, she basically explains to him that uh, in accordance with like Chinese philosophy that 
having saved her life, she's now like forever indebted to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then MacGyver <laughs> has this this uh, <laughs> great line out of context. Strange folk, the Chinese. Um, and then he goes on to explain that uh, in China, uh, that th- everyone calls their children ugly because it's a sin to take pride in their appearance. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he deduces from from that point that um, if they were in China, he would have to call her the ugliest woman in the world. <laughs> yeah, and then we we move over to uh, the newlyweds apartment mm-hmm. slash hotel room. Yeah, it 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 really looks like a hotel room. It's decorated like a hotel with like weird modern art up on the walls. Uh, it, it just doesn't feel like their room. Yeah. Uh, and so she's trying to Ingrid is comforting him, giving him a back massage and he's just kind of winding down about his day and telling how happy he is that he's with her. And that's when she kind of starts to lean over and switches on this little hypno machine. Yeah. She's got some buttons on her nightstand Mm -hmm. and it makes like a little sound. Yeah. It's like a a humming, like a soothing humming, but like also like a classic kind of kind of like sound. And, from there, you know, Bannister has clearly, like, been activated in much like a Manchurian Candidate style of yeah. uh, Arthur Prentice Shaw. Like, you know, just he's just been, he's in program mode. Yeah. Uh, and she convinces him that MacGyver and Victoria Tomanova uh, are the ones who are behind everything. They're the ones, they're the reason that these agents have been killed. Yeah. And that he has to do something about it. And uh, then Lem calls Lem calls their apartment, which I feel like what if Bannister what if she hadn't started hypnotizing him yet or you know and the Bannister answered the phone yeah yeah oh uh, is your wife there is your wife M to speak to me <laughs> <laughs> what what's happening here oh oh I got this sweetie I got this hang up the phone hang up the phone uh, I programmed you to hang up the phone when I say that yeah. I'll just do that because I'm your husband. That's why I hung it up. Are you talking to strange men? Uh, this is plan's going to this plan's going to pot really quick. Um, so, Lem tells Ingrid that MacGyver and Victoria have now headed back to the reception hall to try to see if they can piece together what happened there, and yeah. that and Ingrid tells him that now's the time. Then we need to kill him right now. It seems completely unnecessary for them to go back to the symposium hall. Yeah, I mean, I guess... All they're doing there is watching the security footage, which they could do anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. I guess she just he just wanted to get her into the the surroundings. Yeah, maybe it just, would help bring things back. Yeah, and then we also have the glorious hypno-machine again. Ugh. This is the first MacGyverism that has zero basis in reality. Yeah, it, I don't... The only way... I was trying to look at why those things were there... It, it, they're they're like office desk baubles, you yeah, know, for people who are Yeah, it's just a bunch listening. of paperweights. Yeah, like those little things are just like like semi perpetual motion machines. They just keep swinging back and forth because there's a magnet and stuff inside. But they're at a display for solar power, so I guess maybe they're supposed to be like solar powered. Or examples of kinetic energy or something. Hmm. So he just puts a bunch of them together. He finds a mirror with a perfect hole cut in the center. It. it he finds ashtrays with hypnotism uh, yeah. spirals in them. And and he does all this stuff to put it together, and then they don't use it. Yeah, he, he assembles the entire thing and starts it spinning and then walks away from it, and she never looks at the invention. Yeah, they're watching TV. Yeah. Um, or she's looking directly at him. But neither one of them is ever looking at this MacGyverism that is frustratingly pointless. Yeah. 
but the the reason he puts it together is because they start watching the footage um and macgyver says the reason they're watching the footage is to look for anyone else she might recognize but it's just a one shot of the reverend speaking Mm -hmm. so the second she realized she didn't recognize the reverend macgyver should have been fast forwarding to where anyone else's face was on camera but instead they watch the guy speak for a while and then notice a weird audio cue yeah before he starts his stammering fit you know instead of instead of looking for other people that they recognize how about looking for the guy that you know was there (laughs) i still don't get this yeah um he must have been with a party or a group he didn't just show up and walk in. Yeah. They know who this guy is. He would have registered to attend the symposium. Exactly. The evidence is, like, overwhelming. Yeah. There's a lot of important people here. There would have been a sign-in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. So, uh, they're watching the footage, and she recognizes this this audio cue that, that sets off the reverend, and they rewind it and play it back a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's having trouble remembering where she knows this sound, and that's when MacGyver builds this ridiculous hypnotic yeah. machine um but i think the point of it was just to refresh her memory to the point that she um she would recall oh this is uh this is where i heard that sound before mm-hmm. like it's it's not really supposed to be hypnotizing her it's just supposed to be for like memory recall but they never come back to the sound right like they do some wordplay which i think is better a better uh a better method of right. recalling memories to get you. But again, she's not looking at the machine for this entire the process. Um, but they they move through the the whoever the camera person was for this like was surprisingly steadfast in their camera duty because yeah. they got a nice like three or four second shot of everyone's face mm-hmm. post shooting. Yeah, like just moving the camera around and uh, and it lands on Ingrid for a minute. And uh, when MacGyver asks her to say the first word that comes to, to mind when she sees Ingrid, she says wrong. Right. She she says that her name is wrong, that she starts to recognize her. And MacGyver starts trying again to talk her through memories of what what she might remember her in a context. And she remembers that she saw her in a uniform for the Red Army. Right. That she is, she is she actually... She with Army Intelligence. Yeah. Um, and that's when she remembers like that, that Ingrid must be the mole... Right at the moment that Ingrid, Bannister, and Lem all appear and say, "Yep, yep, we're, we're the moles," we're the moles, outing themselves yeah. instantly. <laughs> MacGyver's like, I, did, "I said it first. Yeah, <laughs> you guys heard it right. I got there first. <laughs> said it at the same time. Maybe, maybe even a little bit faster. Yeah, maybe, probably." <laughs> and uh, Bannister's still like under control, under the control of his hypnosis, and has got his gun brandishing, and. Uh, it's very strange because obviously like Bannister is resistant at this point enough for MacGyver to find time to push the TV at them yeah. and kind of like knock everyone around. And then when Lem gets a shot off, it's just in a random direction. Yeah. Um, MacGyver tackles Lem to the ground and punches him. Uh, so he's out. Yeah. Victoria goes and tackles Ingrid. And, and then MacGyver and is left to, to like fight with uh, Bannister. With yeah. yeah. But Bannister having not been, having anything else to deal with he already has his gun ready right and tells MacGyver to put the gun down and because if two people are pointing guns at each other and one says put your gun down the other one has to put their gun down yeah. <laughs> whoever says it first keeps their gun <laughs> I don't know why he picked it up in the first place he didn't know, he knew he wasn't going to use it yeah, so did Craig guns. yeah this is that's totally not MacGyver anyway and here's where 
the script for this episode and my script for this episode break into two forks and take different paths. Up until now, this is this was a flawless script. <laughs> but this is where I have a completely different ending for the episode than what they did. Well, and, how do you how, do, how so? Okay, so in in these kind of situations when a character has been hypnotized to act against his best friend, all it takes is a couple encouraging sentences from the victim of this scenario Mm -hmm. to turn the hypnotized person around to their side. It's been made very clear time and time again that hypnotism is not so effective that you can't just say, hey, wait, no, but remember me? And then the person will change their mind. Right. Um, And in this case, MacGyver says, like, oh, we did this, we did that. We ran the panjuk together. Yeah. Which I couldn't even figure out what that was. There's a panjuk in in North Korea, but I think it's the one in Pakistan is what they're referring to Makes Makes more sense for the time. And the guy just snaps back, remembers that MacGyver saved his life, and they're on the same team. What I would have had him do is stay hypnotized, because if she'd been hypnotizing him for four weeks or whatever, mm-hmm. he would still be like under that power somehow. Robert would tackle him. <laughs> I knew it would take you a second to figure yeah. out who Robert was. <laughs> I was like, who the heck is Robert. <laughs> I want a tiny robot with a bunch of champagne glasses to just go, no, and knock him to the ground. Wesley. To save MacGyver, his new best friend. That is incredible. How much better an ending would that have been? They're at the symposium. There's no reason for them to be there except for a robot to save the day. I I, I would have loved it like the MacGyver's talking and he just goes, now, Robert. <laughs> yeah. One of those, like, telegraphing the move <laughs> that MacGyver's famous for. Um, but yeah, I really wish that had been what happened. <laughs> I, I like it even better in the sense that he just goes, now Robert, and Robert just dumps the champagne on his shoes. <laughs> it's like, it's just like, what? no, my shoes. <laughs> oh, my feet are wet now. It's, a, it's common knowledge that champagne on your feet wakes anyone up from hypnosis. Mm. Uh, so Bannister resists the urge as true to form for hypnosis. Right. Um, but Ingrid then just says okay well fine i'm just gonna kill him i'm gonna set your heart off yeah and so she triggers she triggers the heart attack button and uh victoria man she in this crazy cool move she like throws the gun up and grabs it by the barrel and and then cracks her in the face yeah cracks right across the face yeah um and so craig collapses to the ground and macgyver starts kicking into motion the plan that he thought of too late to save the reverend yeah (laughs) if only i had thought of this early like i I feel like he got home from the science fair that day and was just like oh you know what i could have done there were candles on that table i could have resuscitated him i could have made a defibrillator out of a microphone which oh man that's a like un unlike controlled voltage yeah. Like, to just throw at his heart. Of course, this is a voltage that looks like it's coming from a microphone. So it should be nothing. Almost like, like, it's like licking a battery. That's what you're getting out of this. <laughs> Barely thing. even licking a battery. There's, like, no power in these things. Um, I mean, we're... To set, a, to set a tone, we're wearing USB headsets, and it's, like, one and a half volts yeah. <laughs> in these USB headsets. Yeah. Um, but that's not what this. This is a really high-powered microphone. Yeah, high-powered enough to restart a man's heart. Yeah, uh, he he wraps he cuts the cables and wraps them around two metal candlestick holders. But first, cuts some rubber matting from probably those rubber mats that they put to hide cables, yeah. you know, people from dripping on them. It just starts just 
just like slamming him down on him. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty nuts. Like it's a nutty thing to try. Especially and, when we've seen that the trigger for this nylon artery clogging machine is electricity. Mm-hmm. And you pointed out that, wait, isn't that like the activating agent in this heart attack machine that they're using? Yeah. Like, wouldn't applying electricity cause an even worse yeah, response? exactly. He says he's trying to break the magnetic field. I don't know if they're saying that there's like a chip or something inside of them that's emitting, like the the trigger is starting up something inside of them. Or if it's the but either that... way, it seems like the heart attack has already begun. So yeah, the artery is clogged y- at least partially. Yeah, like it just seems like the nylon's already in there. You can't get it out by using more electricity. Yeah, unless unless the plunging is like making his heart valves open way wider, it, the 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 logic doesn't work. Right. Um. Uh. But it works, and uh, and Bannister is able to to not only recover from his heart attack but he recovers hypnosis from his hypnosis to the point where he doesn't remember what he's doing or what macgyver is trying to accomplish by right. zapping his heart yeah uh and i think i think that's where we end we end i think we end right in there the symposium yeah like there, there's there's no button or anything like of of his with his he doesn't have it out with ingrid or anything which because they've captured them now right right uh, like they're knocked unconscious. They're gonna. I, I I don't know what 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 the procedure is for captured assassins. Yeah. I suppose they would use them as bargaining chips. But yeah. Uh, or just try them all for treason and have them executed. Mm-hmm. We can, can you try? You can't try them for treason if they're not citizens, right? Ingrid is an American citizen at this point, isn't she? Well, if she, she's married. She's to an married American. him. Ooh, gosh, what a great loophole to execute her. <laughs> <laughs> You can't. You can't a execute me. I'm a, uh, They're gonna hang her. I'm not, I'm not an American citizen. Well, once you married one. Oh, guess what? I got a certificate that says you are. <laughs> oh man, that's a plot twist right there. Yeah. That is a plot twist. And you actually had a chance to speak with Michael Goodwin uh, on the phone for an interview. Yeah, well, I got a chance to speak with uh, Craig Bannister himself. And uh, why don't we play that for you now? Yeah, well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. A little surprised at the uh, request. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, a while back. You appeared in two episodes of MacGyver, uh, The Enemy Within from Season 1 and Friends from Season 2. Did you audition for the part of Craig Bannister? Uh, you know, I'm sure I did. It's a long time ago, so it's <laughs> hard to remember that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure I did. You know, that was more or less obligatory back in those days. Sure. Uh, for guest leads and stuff like that or whatever you want to call it featured you know guest in in your first episode the enemy within it was sort of a nod to the manchurian candidate in places yeah exactly yeah to some extent quite quite so Mm -hmm. yeah do you remember when that episode was shot we shot in locate you know uh, locations we were up in griffith park for part of it was that the brake fluid scene yeah exactly and then we shot pretty much on uh on the set you have uh, one scene in the episode with a pathologist played by Arthur Mallet. Yes. MacGyver seems to be hiding a cast that he wasn't wearing for the rest of the episode. Yeah, that's interesting that you would take note of that. He was injured uh, in the course of the shooting of that. Okay. And uh, was off off the shoot for, uh, I can't remember, it was a day or two. He had to have a cast put on, and, and you know, he was... Um, and, you know, I think he had a couple of, actually a few days off. We kind of shot around him for a part of it. 
Oh, okay. And he was injured on set? Uh, he was injured uh, in one of the scenes. I don't think I was present when it happened. Oh, okay. So uh, I didn't actually witness it. But, you know, he came back pretty quick. He's a tough guy. He plays hockey and all that. So yeah, yeah. He didn't go, he didn't go down for long. In, in your second MacGyver episode, Friends, uh, you appeared with basically the entire major cast of the series and, and most of the recurring characters. What was, what was the atmosphere like on set for that episode? Oh, it was fine. You know, they're a pretty good bunch of people. It was a, I, was a, I just remember it was a very comfortable set. Good people, um, you know, pleasant all around. And uh, he was very easy to work with. So, you know, it was, uh, we had a lot of fun. He's a Minnesota guy, and uh, so was I. So we, we, you know talked about the old days or the old the old country i should say yeah a good bit yeah it was it was a very pleasant group the entire episode aside from the clips they're cutting to uh appears to take place mostly in in the one room in the phoenix foundation do you remember where that set was actually located the phoenix foundation itself you mean where the party was held and so yeah forth? yeah 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 that was on, on the lot do you know which lot uh jeez i can't remember it was a box or not yeah i think it was box okay. i'm not absolutely sure was either uh, you know I mean I did a lot of shows out there in a lot of places so sure yeah it's it's hard to you know bring them back up <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to go look at, I'd have to go look at old face stubs or something <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have any fun memories from the set from from either of these episodes well um, just uh, I remember we you, you know uh, we had quite a few giggles during the uh, the, the uh, candlestick scene I don't know if you remember that where yeah. They, well, you revived me with <laughs> or whatever it was. I, I still get flack from friends of mine on that one. For the defibrillator made out of the microphone and the candles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, they, they thought that was pretty pretty creative, shall we say. So <laughs> I get a lot of kidding. Still get a lot of kidding about that one. But, uh, you know, it was a, it was just a, it was pretty, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the... Uh, the scene with the car going down the hills and all that, we, we got a big kick out of that because it was kind of crazy. We were, you know, a lot of it, you're being towed by another vehicle for the interior stuff. Sure. And then, and then we're kind of freeloading the rest of it. So, um, it, you know, it was a, a fairly loose scene to shoot, so we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, they, they did um, a very similar stunt in the very next episode, so I, I figured they probably shot them around the same time there's another car chase with macgyver on the hood and it looks like the same road so yeah he well, he you know he was kind of he was a bold boy he he did a lot of his own stunts i learned pretty early that you know let the stunt guys do that that's what they get paid for yeah exactly that's, that's why you come up with casts on your arm and things like that and he he ends up wearing it for for three episodes of this season including uh the enemy yeah. within yeah and i uh you know, I, I did quite a few of mine when I started out, but I got lectured by a couple of stuntmen about, you know, don't don't tread on me. And I said, you know, I begin to think, you know, they're right. I just kind uh, <laughs> my own nickname. Yeah, nothing, nothing to prove. Yeah. I, I remember an old story about Randolph Scott back in the old days when he was making movies. And there was a scene where he's supposed to be riding his horse, galloping by, having a shootout on the horse and... The stuntmen were going by, and he's sitting on the front porch of the shed reading the Wall Street Journal in a chair. What was going on? So, and I said maybe he had the right idea. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it was it was it was fun to shoot that one. It was a good uh, good bunch. Yeah. Were you a fan of MacGyver before or or after your appearances on the show? Yeah, actually, I was. I did watch that one from time to time. You know, I mean. 
when you're working out there, you don't necessarily have that much time to watch it. But uh, I did a series out there, oh, it was 81, called Strike Force, and then, you know, wound up doing a lot of shows for spelling for a few years after that, doing a lot of guest things and so forth. So, you know, you, you kind of lose track, actually, of what's, what's on because you're frequently working when things are on. Sure, yeah. But uh, but I did follow that one uh, as often as I could, and I've certainly seen a lot of it in reruns, you know, when my... When my son was growing up, sure, yeah. when he was a little kid. But uh, no, it was, it was always well done. It was, you know, of its time, shall we say. You, sure. you look back on those things now, and they, you know, compared to some of the new new series in writing, they they, see, they seem a little simplistic. But but it's uh, still a lot of fun. Well, oh, they are fun, yeah. And they were, you know, I don't think they pretended to be anything other than what they were. Yeah. Actually. And it was creative, you know. There was a lot of good stuff in there, and... And he's, he's a really good good guy and a good actor. He really, you know, I think it was really about his his personality and charisma and all that stuff that carried that show anyway. Yeah. In reviewing the previous episode of MacGyver Countdown, we, we actually had a chance to speak with Ellen Bree, with whom you appeared in three episodes of St. Elsewhere. I wondered if you could uh, describe your experience working on that show. Well, uh, that was it was fun. I uh, was with Cynthia Sykes on that. I was playing a love interest for her. Okay. And uh, another doctor. And, you know, he was kind of a, I hate to use the term, a red herring. I mean, they, they kind of shifted gears on that show. It got pretty macho after a while. And a lot of the ladies were just either written out or kind of uh, sidelined, you know. Huh. And uh, uh, her role was, I think, ultimately written out. I don't know. But they, you know, they I can't even remember what the deal was. But they brought me out for three, and they were going to, you know, I think have an extended situation between us and then they switched her character they did some weird deal and and uh apparently she wasn't happy with what happened and they had a falling out I, I'm, I'm talking out of turn here i can't remember so much of it but sure anyway it, it came to three episodes and that was that but uh you know and i was working primarily with her i didn't work that much with any of the other guys on there to speak of um because it was we were just the two of us in each scene, practically. Yeah. Which, which I was fine with because a lot of guys on there I liked and, and enjoyed watching, but that's just the way it was written. So. Sure. You recently appeared alongside another uh, recurring MacGyver actor, Cuba Gooding Jr., in a feature film called Freedom. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I forgot Cuba on that. I didn't realize he was on there. Yeah, he did four episodes. Yeah, no, I, yeah, Cuba and I, I worked with him uh, two years ago now. This, this thing hasn't been released here yet. I don't know what's going on. It, it was an Australian uh, production company, and uh, they have released it, I think, in Australia, and I don't know what the scoop is. You know, it's very hard for independent films, especially foreign. I mean, it's, a, it's an American story, right? but it's just a foreign production company, and it, it's really hard to get the... You know, distribution, and you know, when you're coming from out of, out of country, especially with a lower budget film. Yeah. So I don't know what the hangup is. I'm going to have to get in touch with the producer and see what's what the deal is. But yeah, it was about uh, an escape to you know, and it was kind of coincidental. It was done just about the time as Twelve Years of a Slave as a Slave came out. Oh, uh, okay. So I don't know. If that, I don't know if that kind of slowed it down, or maybe you know, made it more difficult for them to find a distributor. Because that was a that was a major movie, big budget. This was uh, definitely a smaller budget, but you know, quite well done. And Cuba was terrific in it. Uh, I th I'm sure it'll get released here. I just don't know when. 
Yeah. It was about the family of slaves that escapes the North, and uh, my character was um, an actual uh, person, uh, Thomas Garrett, who uh, was one of the uh, uh, Underground Railroad conductors. Sure. Like, uh, you know, I can't remember who others. With Har- them, Harriet Tubman. He, and- Harriet Tubman, and there were two or three others that did, did a lot. But he was actually... He smuggled out, I can't remember, some huge number, 2,000 slaves. or oh, I mean, wow. it was crazy how many. He was from Baltimore area, um, had a lot of trouble during the Civil War because they had to guard his house from the, you know, rebel factions that wanted to finish him off and all. But in my, in this particular case, I smuggled them up, you know, from one point to another during the show and what have you. So it was, it was a, you know, fairly interesting and historically relatively accurate Piece. So yeah, I hope it's released one fine day. Are there any other upcoming projects that you'd like to share with the listeners? Or, <laughs> well, I'm just working. I'm well, actually I'm semi-retired, if you will, uh, living uh, back in uh, Virginia now, and uh, doing a lot of theater, which I was my first love anyway, and finally got back to it. And I've uh, been here for years and enjoying. We came here for a year, and so far we've been here for 22 or three. <laughs> And uh, can't seem to get out of town. So, uh, but you know, I've actually done film and, and television from here too. Just go off and um, you know do it elsewhere, either in D.C. or you know, uh, doing an old Sam Shepard play right now called The Lie of the Mind. Okay. And stuff like that. But you know, theater's always been my my favorite thing, and uh, so it's nice to partake of it in the in the twilight years as it were <laughs> sure well i want to thank you again so much for chatting with us today we really appreciate yeah, it yeah. i appreciate you uh, thinking of me and uh, i'm glad you enjoyed the show it was uh, I, I all i can say is that was a fun one to do you know pretty crazy yeah okay take care all right bye-bye bye-bye well, it was really great of him to be on the show. Uh, I really am looking forward to seeing that movie once it gets released. Yeah, and I think technically he's like, him and Pete are the only two characters who are in the first season and the second season like that play Agents of DXS. Right, right. Because Carlisle is only an agent of DXS, but Craig is actually a DXS agent in the first season and a Phoenix Foundation agent in the second right, season. Right, right. So he's the only one that followed them to the Phoenix Foundation. Yeah, Carlisle didn't... didn't didn't make the move yeah but yeah it's, it's funny too that uh michael goodwin is is working with cuba gooding jr who was in you know three yeah. three and a half episodes as as one of the bounty hunter family because he actually plays a separate character in, right, in right. one of the episodes yeah I'm, I'm, I'm like it's been a while since i've seen those episodes i just remember that the i it, the coltons i think the coltons yeah. yeah and uh you know it was it's like a weird interesting side story to macgyver that yeah. happens it, it, this is an okay episode. There, there's some ridiculous aspects to it. Um, I, I like I like the espionage a- aspect. I like the mole. Um, I don't like the MacGyverism of this particular episode, sure. per se. Uh, and and I wouldn't include uh, in that category the fixing the brakes, but I really do like that. It's thinking on your feet. Yeah, that whole, that whole stunt I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I come to find, though, now, with all these incidents, uh, with Quail and the, you know, uh, Wendy Shaw's character in Deathlock being yeah. a leak, and then when this, the, in the previous episode, Countdown, uh, where 
uh, Viking knows everything, and you know MacGyver says nice security. And like, so this DXS office seems to have a lot of problems. Well, you know, screening people. MI six doesn't do much better. I mean, the last like nine Bond villains have been ex agents or of l- MI six. Look at IMF too in the Mission Impossible series. Yeah, oh, every yeah, episode... every single time it's a rogue agent. Yeah, and they pretend like it's like, oh, this is the first like, oh, this is the ghost thing, and and it's like, <laughs> no, this happens every time. Every time. Don't trust anybody. Stop hiring people and training them to betray you. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're going to do it. Yeah, they always do it. Um, But but yeah, okay episode. Yeah, I think it's an alright episode. I think Robert saves it, um, even if he doesn't (laughs) literally do it at the end, (laughs) like I wish he would. But um, just a champagne robot, I feel like, adds a lot to almost anything. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking back now, because his face was just that blaring white screen, I'm wondering if there was an actual robot digital face that they were going to put on it? Or no, that they probably did, but it didn't show up. Oh, maybe. Like, maybe it was all white with darkened LED, like, darkened display, like, for the mouth. Instead of, yeah. like, instead of, oh, like, a black but screen with white eyes. But it just didn't play right on the camera. Yeah, it didn't show up. I I'm wondering if that's how, how it happened. That was before we were able to just mask that out. Mm-hmm. Maybe. That sounds, that sounds like a possibility. We're going to have to give Robert a call. Yeah. <laughs> Find out what he's doing. Yeah. Maybe we could get him on the show. If we could get Robert, oh, gosh. that'd be pretty awesome. At least figure out who did his voice. Maybe actually try to reach out to him. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think he did the voice for Clone High as well. <laughs> for Butler Tron? <laughs> Is that his, it's Butler Tron, right? Is it? He says, like, Wesley. I'm not crazy. And he's like, you made a robotic butler named Butler Tron. <laughs> My creating a robotic assistant is no more eccentric than that tie you're wearing. <laughs> and he's not wearing a tie. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I think that about wraps up our uh, review of The Enemy Within. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if you'd like to reach out to us about this episode or future episodes, uh, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Opening Gambit, all one word. Uh, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, And you can always find us at phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the show, feel free to review it on iTunes. Um, tune in next week. We're going to be covering Season 1, Episode 16, Every Time She Smiles. So another Bond girl right away. Yep. Although she wasn't a Bond girl yet. Not yet. But we'll get to that. (laughs) Tune in next week. Tune in next week. Thank you for listening. Mm